Welcome to the Plan for Special Needs Trusts podcast, presented by PLAN, the Planned Lifetime Assistance Network of Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Our plan is your plan. I'm Jordan Rich, inviting you to enjoy a conversation with Cynthia Haddad, a recognized thought leader in planning for families of individuals with disabilities and the co-author of the best-selling book, The Special Needs Planning Guide, now in its second edition. Cindy is a passionate advocate of education for families, as you will hear. Before we address what the subtitle is all about, how to prepare for every stage of your child's life, some advice for people out there about when to start preparing. Well, sometimes it's from the womb, right? We've had clients that uh, they knew they were going to have a child born with Down syndrome, and that's when they started thinking about what their future would be and how they should change their planning. But then we also have folks that there's a later onset of a disability or a diagnosis that, and then their world turns upside down. And and many times it's, you know, as the child is maturing and developing their abilities, their needs, then there's different things that come through that say, gee, this is, we're gonna need to plan for two retirements. We're gonna need to plan for, making sure that the our money is going to be there for the next generation. So it's oftentimes when is when parents start to think mm-hmm. about it, but they don't act because there's so much going on in, in their life. So we try and prevent it from happening before a crisis begins. You said plan for two retirements. Let's explore yeah. what that means, because for most people, they retire when they retire. But this is a different mode, a different mindset altogether. Absolutely. Parents need to make sure that there's enough money to pay for the lifetime needs of their son or daughter with a disability. And that means that you don't plan for just when you die, but you need to incorporate all of those expenses that you're paying for, usually as a parent, for your son or daughter way past their age 18. It sounds and that's like a, why it's planning for two generations and two retirements. Sounds like a monumental task. And I know you're mm-hmm. charged with making things more manageable for people. How do you help people through this process? What's your secret sauce? We break it down and we break it down into five factors, which is what we cover in our book. And those five factors are the emotional factors, which doesn't sound right that a financial planning firm or a financial planner would ask emotionally, you know, where where family is, acceptance, denial, um, crises, just uncertainty. So the emotional factors, we take the emotion out of the planning, but emotional factors play a big part of how people plan for their future. Um, Then we look at the family and the support, the dynamics of the family, who's available for their son or daughter, and who will be part of their team to carry on during the lifetime of the parents and or upon the death of the parents. So we look at the team. Then we look at the government benefits. How do we identify, maximize, and protect any government benefits that an individual will be eligible for? And then we look at the legal aspects, the different types of trusts, guardianships, alternatives, and overall, the financial factors. How do we have enough money? And we always say, take care of mom and dad first, put on your own oxygen mask, and then we can take care of the rest. Do try and break it down. Right. And Cindy, there are 
guidelines in terms of the ages of the of the children that determine many of these things that will change and shift to certainly government assistance and so forth, correct? Right. We call those the planning pressure points. Mm. And we created the special needs planning timeline back in our first edition in 2007. And the special needs planning timeline identifies, in addition to typical financial planning, you know, planning for a home, college planning for a child, retirement planning, succession planning, estate planning, etc. That's the traditional financial planning timeline. But then we add on where there's changes in supports and services, either through the federal government or the state agencies. And some of those are when a child turns age 18, they may be eligible for certain government benefits at age 22, especially in Massachusetts, 21 in New Hampshire, 26 in Michigan. That's when they age out of the entitlements to public education. And then that's when families are faced with where they, where's their child going to live? Where's their child going to work? What are they going to do all day? And who's who in their life? So that's a whole long trajectory once they age out of the public school system. Mm-hmm. And that can be very overwhelming because you have you know so many years to get used to planning within the public school systems and individualized education plans and then all that stops. So when a child is first born from zero to three, there's early intervention. And parents have said, oh, that's like going from a cruise ship because it's all kumbaya and wonderful, home-based. You go from a cruise ship to a dinghy. When a child turns 22, you go from a dinghy to a buoy. And families mm. just have to hang on. And um, that's what we're there for, is to help them navigate the rest of those course. That's a very good metaphor. It really paints a picture and an image of how these things progress. Let's talk a little bit about financial security. Anyone among us wants that in our later years, but it's particularly challenging for these families you work with and that plan of Mass and Rhode Island works with. Is it safe to say that with with enough time and enough planning that anyone's estate, quote unquote, is capable of supporting the children later in life? high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals, we have a financial framework that we help families to plan. And it's a balancing act between your own personal resources and government benefits. Mm -hmm. So we need to tip the scales according to what the financial framework is of a family. So families of limited means, they're going to focus on government benefits and identifying, maximizing, protecting those. And the government is going to provide. Then there's families that have you know, modest wealth, and they can save for their own retirement. They're not in credit card debt or bad debt. They're not in financial crises, but they might still access government benefits and then supplement probably upon death, probably using life insurance, probably using that life insurance to fund a supplemental needs trust. And then families of higher net worth, they want to do it themselves. So they may create the, the environment, the home, the employment opportunities, and then let the government supplement what the family will provide. And those with ultra high, now they have more money than they know what to do with, they still need to have people. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes accessing government benefits and services are really important. And that's where all the trust and the team and any financial framework, no matter what it is, you need a team of people to carry on. And especially if there's no brothers and sisters. And that's where Plan of Massachusetts and Rhode Island really come into play because they can take the place of being that trusted person to manage the trust and make sure that the beneficiary, the child, is tended to with the financial resources that the family is leaving for that individual. 
Cindy, can you explain for people just joining us for the first time hearing this podcast before they hear any others, the benefits of a supplemental needs trust and how it works mechanically in simple language? Uh, that's a really good question, Jordan. It's, it's a legal document, so there's nothing simple about it. But you do need to have um, the most important thing is you have an attorney that really knows about special needs trust and making sure they don't just say, oh, yes, I I can give you a special needs trust because I can click the button in my software. You want to make sure that you're working with the right at- attorney that is knowledgeable in disability and, and special needs planning. So that's the first part about it. The second part, it's a legal document and identifies someone who's a trusted person, who's the trustee. Then there's a beneficiary who's going to benefit from what you ask that you put in that trust. And then there's the remainder beneficiaries. So most of these That's a standard of a trust, but in a special needs trust, or also known as a supplemental needs trust, it protects the individual's eligibility for government benefits. So many government benefits, an individual can't have more than $2,000 of assets in their name. Otherwise, they would disqualify themselves for Medicaid benefits, supplemental security income, and services and supports. So a supplemental needs trust allows families to leave an inheritance for the benefit of their son or daughter without disqualifying them for government benefits. That's a huge sigh of relief that is felt by families in that respect. Absolutely. And they don't have to disinherit their child, or they don't have to leave their share of the inheritance to another person or sibling, which would be a morally obligated gift. And the trust tells the trustee how they should be spending that money how to supplement government benefits mm-hmm. so they don't disqualify that child's benefits for, for government benefits. Tr- truly a valuable document and a valuable tool. How often, in general terms, are things changing legislatively, and why is it important for anyone listening to have a team in place, a legal team in place, that really pays attention to that? Mm-hmm. We talk about a team being legal, financial, um, tax, and also people. And sometimes you need to have a professional trustee, and sometimes you can have a family member as a trustee or a combination of two. So, and there's also the guardian who's going to be on the on the ground with the bootstraps, you know, checking on the day to day. And then the agency that might be providing direct support and, and housing and care and services for the individual. So it really is a team made up of professionals and and non-professionals. Um, if you think about what a parent does in the day-to-day. They're dealing with the medical needs of, of, of the child. Um, they're dealing with the, the legal aspects. They're dealing with all the government, you know, Department of Developmental Services, Social Security, all that kind of stuff that they're they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, chief cook and bottle washer. Um, so they, they do it all. But then if you ask one person to do all that when you're gone, it can be overwhelming. And we've had folks clients where their family members have said, no, I can't do what you do for your son or daughter. But once we talk about having a team of people, then they could do that one little slice. One of the things I noted in the book, Special Needs Planning Guide, is the family learning goals. And you're all about providing people with information that's not overwhelming, but information that is something that they can hang on to. Explain what you mean by that and why that's so critical in this case. How does the learning goal process help? And this was working with a publisher, which 
made it so much easier for us to chunk it down. Mm-hmm. And each section, we could talk about the five factors, the emotional, the family and support, the government benefits, the legal and the financial. And in each section, we break it down by the age of the child. Where is there a change in services and supports? And there's five different stages that I spoke about earlier, from zero to three, three to 14, then 14 to 18, then 18 to 22 and 22 and beyond. So each of those depends on where you are in the planning process on the age of your child. We chunk it down into some of the steps that you should do. And then, of course, there's a lot of people that want to do it themselves, that they Mm -hmm. don't need the expertise of a financial planner. Um, Although we often recommend you make sure you're working with just like an attorney that is knowledgeable in disability law, working with financial planners that are knowledgeable in special needs because what they don't know can really hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's worksheets and assessments you can do about your child's needs, their staffing needs, um, just their their activities and all those different things that parents just pay for and just do. And we need to build that into their, their planning and what those expenses are. And of course, taking an inventory of all of your assets and how they're directed to that special needs trust. And things like you know planning and naming your children equally, those are things that people miss all the time, those, mm. those little things and making sure that the beneficiary for the child with special needs is their special needs trust, not them directly. Right. And how to use different types of ABLE accounts and planning. Cindy, before we wrap up, would you be kind enough to tell us how the process would work with a younger family and then perhaps with a family with an older child? Talk a little bit about what might be a typical process. I, I think it's a good question because, you know, if you have a younger family, let's let's do a, a younger family. And, of course, it depends on their financial resources. Um, and what for a younger family, we want to plan for the worst and hope for the best. So a younger family might not know what their child will need in the future, but they know kind of, sort of, if they're you know, on the autism spectrum, if, you know, with, with Down syndrome, they might have some mental health issues that are not hugely identified, um, but their planning should be plan for the worst and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Get your special needs trust in place. Make sure you change your beneficiary designations. Make sure you maximize your retirement plan savings. And again, put on parents, put on your own oxygen mask and make sure you're planning for your own needs, getting rid of debt, you know, managing cash flow. And in many cases, one parent has to stay home to be the care primary caregiver of that child. So how does that impact their future planning? So all that is when you have a younger family member is the safety net. And that's where the life insurance comes into play more often because that can create the wealth um, to fund a special needs trust or to create resources if one parent dies prematurely. So that's a younger case. The An older, someone over the age of 22, perhaps, they've aged out of, and we like to get folks in around 16 because then we can make sure they've identified and get onto those government benefits at 18 and then have a plan in place for when their child ages out. But around 20 and beyond, where their parents are mostly thinking about who's going to be there. And they've had some savings. They've had time to accumulate resources. They may have already put somebody through college, but it's the bigger picture of who, that's who's going to be there. And that's when we can introduce them to people like Plan of Massachusetts and Rhode Island 
to maybe serve as the trustee or successor trustee of that special needs trust. And then we often stay involved because we're managing their assets and we have reviews with them. Um, we have them review their legal documents every five years, but their financial resources, we have them review at least every, every year. And how are they doing on track towards their goals, their financial planning goals? I can tell, and I'm sure the audience can tell, a sense of empathy you have for your clients. And this is born out of your own personal story, isn't it? Jordan, I have a brother with developmental disabilities. And my partner, um, John Nadwarney, has a son with Down syndrome. And his daughter and other son have joined our team as well. Um, but when I first started, it was you know 30 years ago, I was 12. Um, <laughs> I wanted to work with families like my own because there was no information out there. And my parents depended on me to know what I what they didn't know about Ron. But my mom was a fierce advocate for him to get into public education. And here in Massachusetts, we were very instrumental and very strong in getting those public laws of no child left behind and public free and appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment. And ever since I was little, I was volunteering for Special Olympics, volunteering for dances raising awareness because that's what my mom did and that's what our family did for my brother. So advocating for him has provided me the motivation and incentive to advocate for other families. And there were a lot of people, there are a lot of siblings saying, what am I going to do when something happens to mom and dad? And mom and dad saying, I don't want to leave this all to my kids. And my mom was so smart. She said, I want to make sure that Ron is financially secure so he doesn't have to be a financial burden to anybody because if there's money available, people will want to do things with him versus have to pay for him to do things with them. So she was really the one that motivated me to be there for Ron. But I think also um, there's just so much information that people don't know. And, and that's what our goal is to get that information out there to, to people. But being a family member, I didn't sign up to be in this club. But I'm kind of glad, and I've met some really wonderful people, um, and there's a bunch of people like me. And nobody would say that they had clients with special needs back then, and people would say, oh, I don't know anybody with special needs, or the state will take care of somebody with special needs. And I thought, that's not true. That's, that's really misinformation. Fast forward today, there isn't somebody that doesn't know somebody that has something with special needs, be it mental health, because there's such a huge crisis now, with autism with any type of intellectual or developmental disabilities, there seems to be, or physical injuries. Um, so there's so many needs and there's so much more awareness and people aren't in institutions. They're living in the communities. They're paying taxes just like the rest of us. So mm. we've come a long way, which means we need to do a lot more planning. Well, you've got your mission statement uh, clearly marked. It's been your mission now for many, many years, although you're very, very young. <laughs> but uh, let me let me remind people, along with our guest's professional day-to-day -day operation, she's got a book called The Special Needs Planning Guide, co-written with her colleague John W. Nadwarning, Cynthia Haddad, and it's subtitled How to Prepare for Every Stage of Your Child's Life. And we just sort of scratched the surface, but did so in a way that was very helpful and very kind. Thank you so much, Cindy. Great uh, to meet Jordan, you. My pleasure. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to the Plan for Special Needs Trusts podcast. 
presented by PLAN, the Planned Lifetime Assistance Network of Massachusetts and Rhode Island. PLAN is a 501c3 nonprofit company where the goal for every one of its clients is always to preserve assets, protect benefits, and live well. For more, visit www.planofma-ri.org. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. And thank you for sharing it with others. Our plan is your plan.